Welcome to the Stylist Live podcast. You're about to hear from North Korean human rights activist Yeonmi Park as she talks to Emerald Street editor Anna Fielding about her incredible journey. Hi, I'm Anna Fielding. I'm the editor of Emerald Street, which is Stylist's sister email brand. And today I'm really thrilled to introduce you to Yeonmi Park. Uh, we'll be hearing about her incredible story and then you guys will have the opportunity to ask questions for around 20 minutes at the end. So do think of something. I'm sure you won't be short of ideas. So I'm not really given to hyperbole very often and I don't really use words like thrilled and incredible, likely. I'm a terrible cynic. Uh, <laughs> I also read a lot too um, for work and for pleasure. And I finished Yummy's book, In Order to Live, in about 24 hours and I stayed up until after two in the morning rather than leading it to the next day because I really wanted to get to the end. Yomi Park was born in North Korea in 1993. It's the world's most secret and impenetrable dictatorship, and it's still known today as the Hermit Kingdom. She now lives in New York, and she's one of the youngest North Korean defectors to speak out. Her story is incredible, it's that word again, and it's inspiring. Having spent her childhood being hungry enough to eat dragonflies and leaves, she and her mother were cross-border into China when she was 13, not knowing that they were being trafficked as slave brides. They eventually escaped to Mongolia by walking across the Gobi Desert, finally making it to Seoul, one of the most modern and technologically advanced cities on the planet. Yeonmi's life has been full of danger, and her decision to speak out against the North Korean regime exposes her to more. She's a woman of courage and intelligence, and she's speaking on behalf of those she left behind, but also for herself, and telling her story in order to live. And as she comes to the stage, could you please put a round of applause together for Yeonmi Park? Hello. Hi. <laughs> uh, we yeah. saw each other five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. You've got quite a crowd. <laughs> right. Wow. I'm so honored to be here. And <laughs> well, I'm in London, but I love London a lot because of the accent. <laughs> and I'm sure you all speak that with a lovely accent. I'm charmed by this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, this room and, and most of the world, really, we don't know a great deal about North Korea. Mm -hmm. And many of us will have seen the 70th anniversary celebrations last weekend uh, on the news. But we don't really feel that we know what day-to-day -day life is about. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you could start by telling the audience a bit about your childhood to start with. <coughs> yeah, uh, often I have to describe my life. How was it being in North Korea? And they ask me to describe it. And I find myself that is undescribable. There's no way. I can describe North Korea with our human language to describe because it's a different universe. I came in today and I was trying to find out what's happening in this event. <laughs> Why so many beautiful women <laughs> here? i never seen this many beautiful women in my life. <laughs> so it's, I'm so honored. But I was looking at the venues and there are people, people like giving makeup and do hair and the fashion models. And I never knew those professions. I never imagined there's a job called the mother, some thin woman wearing clothes, and that's their job. <laughs> and the people putting makeup, and that's their job. And stylists and moderators, none of these things were in that country, in that darkest place. I've never imagined having this 24-hour electricity using this mic to talk to you guys. And there was no way I could imagine 
fly to here and talk about my story. There's no word for freedom. And I remember when I arrived in South Korea, I was so shocked because in North Korea, we don't have word for liberty or human rights or love. Only love we can express is to the regime and their leader. I could not imagine I'm telling my mother or my lover to I love you. Those words only kept for our dear leader. And that's just fear and oppression, and you don't even know you are oppressed in that country. But your childhood was quite happy at first, I think. You, your father mm -hmm. um, had a small business, and your mm -hmm. family were relatively successful. Mm -hmm. um, and then afterwards, because um, uh, Yomi's father used to uh, trade small amounts of goods as a black marketeer, um, which you said that your generation in, Korea, in North Korea mm -hmm. is known as the black market generation, yeah. um, or known as the market generation, because it was mm -hmm. the first time that small enterprises were ever really set up um, to compensate for the lack of food coming through from the state. But it was also a time of famine as well, mm -hmm. and especially after your father was arrested, it was quite difficult for you and your mother and sister. Could you tell a bit more about that? Yeah, I think people get me wrong when I say I was privileged when I was in North Korea. <laughs> privileged means not that not mean having this kind of clothes or eating orange or fruits when you want to eat or having car. Privileged means you just don't die for the starvation and you have something to eat in a day because not many people survive during the Great Famine. I was born in 1993 and that time the Soviet Union collapsed and they were stopped helping North Korea, and the government stopped Russian. And only way we could survive is trading in the market, and that's how black market emerged in North Korea. Because it should not be, it's socialist, they should not have trading, but people had to find their ways. But the consequences of this Soviet Union collapse was the famine. Some people, they, a few million people died. And I remember seeing that everybody's on the streets, when I was growing up, and I thought it was not like anything else. To me, it was a very normal thing. Nobody told me that I was different. Nobody told me that I should not be that way. To me, it was very normal daily life. And also, my father, after he got arrested, our family also couldn't afford food. That's how my, my mom also got interrogated. So since at the age of eight, and my sister was 11 years old, we lived two of us, and we ate dragonflies, as you said, and grasshoppers, and I was going to river. I could never imagine the thing called a shower. So you go to riverside, and you take a bath, you wash your clothes, and go to mountain and get something to eat. And that's how I lived uh, most of the time after my father's imprisonment. And when your father was released, your mother and you, um, following on from your sister, made a decision to go to China. Mm -hmm. Can you tell everyone a bit about what, what <coughs> caused you to make that decision and also what happened during your journey? Mm. Yeah, so when I was in North Korea, I never knew how many countries existed in the world. I never heard of Africa, I never heard of Canada. Of course, I never knew the word Internet. <laughs> My world was very small, American bastards, Japanese imperialists, and some Western evils trying to attack us, and we are living in the, the best country on Earth. 
and I was learning math in school, the problem was like, there are four American bastards, and <laughs> you kill two of them, and how many American bastards are left to kill? <laughs> and I said, two American bastards. <laughs> and right answer. I and I was believing that my leader could read my mind. I believed Kim Jong-il could read my mind. And the first thing that my mom told me was, not to even whisper, because the birds and mice even can hear you. And she told me, even the words have ears, so you should not even whisper your thoughts. And that's how much you're oppressed and how much you're isolated. I would not imagine if I go outside of North Korea, there would be this kind of democracy and free world exists. It's only drive for me was hunger. I didn't escape for freedom. It was not the hero's journey. I'm not gonna escape, I'm gonna save my nation. It was more just like, I'm gonna die. Hunger means death in North Korea. Hunger means just death, if not just you are hungry. And that's my sister, how she left to China. And I didn't have information, but I knew that because during the night, I was lived in the northern part of North Korea, and I could see the lights from China side. And I wondered why we don't have lights, but China has lights. And also I remember, uh, I was secretly watching Chinese TV channel, and in North Korea, people can be punished for that, watching foreign medias. And I was secretly watching, and I saw the advertisement for the first time in my life. And it was milk advertisement on the TV. And I thought, there's no propaganda, and I also didn't know milk was out of cow. And I thought, maybe if I go to China, maybe I might have some food here. And that's my sister at the age of 16. She left with her friends. And after a few days later, I just removed my appendix. Mm. And as soon as I got out from the hospital, my mom and I followed her. And that was our escape. It was nothing we knew about. I knew about this democracy just for bottle rights. And that's all we wanted. And you were only 13 at the time as yes, well, as well as recovering from appendix operation. Yes. And it was midwinter, and Yomi and her mother crossed a river at the thickest point where it was frozen so that the ice would hold um, with what turned out to be people traffickers, although you didn't really know that at the time. Yeah, I mean, how do you know? People can share each other. <laughs> I thought that was something impossible thing. That's something that never happened in the world. But once I crossed uh, that frozen river, and the thing first I found out was my mom was being raped in front of my eyes. And I didn't even know what kids were at that time. So I didn't really know what was happening. But it was really a nightmare. And that's how we maintained our life in China. So I know that even though you were very young, uh, you were the, the girlfriend, of, well, I say girlfriend, that makes the arrangement sound very voluntary, but you were the girlfriend of a gangster for a while. And I know that also as well, you haven't spoken out, it's only recently that you've started to speak out about the period of your life in China. Mm -hmm. um, this is quite a difficult one because even in South <laughs> Korea, uh, knowing that you've been trafficked can uh, make you lose respect and lose face. Um, uh, the term we'd use here would be slut shaming. <laughs> so how does it feel for you now to be telling your story in full? Oh, 
Yeah, you look all sad, like you know, sympathy eyes. <laughs> I went through that. I think my title shows here, I'm a revolutionary, not a victim. Yeah, I remember the day I arrived in China. And they said, if you're not in China, stay in China, you have to be sold. And you have to be get married. And I was, I'm 13 years old. And you have to separate your mother. And that's my mother sold for $65. And I was sold for $260. And my mom asked me, what do you want to do? Do you want to stay in China or go back to North Korea? And I told her, I'm hungry. Because if I'm going back, I will die. And what is the point of me to go back to North Korea? I will be imprisoned. I will be tortured and possibly executed. And that's why I decided to stay in China. I didn't know, I didn't know anything that time. And I separated with my mom. And she was sold for Chinese farmer, and I was sold for another human trafficker. And from that moment, we are a merchandise. We are not, pe we are not people. There is no dignity, and they were watching me not going to bathroom. It's I'm a real product. They have to protect it. And that's how we lived. But the man who bought me actually offered me that I was gonna kill myself. It was so shameful how I'm gonna bear this shame, but the man who bought me told me that he can bring my mother and my father back to me if I become a snitches. I think you all can relate to that thing. You can die for your family, right? You can die for your mother, you can die for your children, I think. That's what, what made me kept alive, my mother and my father. So I became a snitches, and he bought my mom and my father back to me to China. And that, but this is not the thing only I went through because North Korean women, when they escaped to China, 80% of women victimized by this human trafficking because Chinese government, if they catch North Korean refugees, they will send back to North Korea and they are very vulnerable. So this human trafficking goes on like $100, $200. That's how you can buy one life in China. And I don't know how much money that we can do with that money here, $65. But North Korean women's life being sold with that value. And the man bought me, he when he brought my father to China, my father, he passed away for his colon cancer that he got from the prison year. And that's how I buried his ashes in the middle of the mountain because there is no way you can imagine having a funeral that you are, you, I was afraid to somebody hear me and I was not even, I could not even cry when my father died. And that's how we lived in China and yeah, even painful, like just even breathing was painful being in that country. You have to be invisible. You are a merchandise and there's no hope. There's no way you can escape. And, but I feel grateful for that, actually. I don't see myself I'm a victim. As I said, I'm a revolutionary. I fought for my freedom, and I fought for to get here, to sitting in this chair today. So I don't think what I went through is horrible. I survived, I fought for it, and after all that, why should I feel bad about it, right? What's the point of fighting all those hardships? So yeah, I don't feel that bad.
And uh, you mentioned that it's quite difficult to escape from China. Mm -hmm. um, the story of how you did escape from China is also quite incredible. Yeah, it was also not for freedom. I said maybe that time I escaped for freedom, but the freedom was different freedom. Somebody told me <laughs> the people, Christians, were helping me in China, and they told me, if you go to South Korea, then you will be free. And the first, for the first time, I heard that you will be free. So what do I asked the person, what do you mean I will be free? And the lady told me, if you go to South Korea, then you can wear jeans, and you can watch movies, and you, you are not going to be executed or imprisoned for that. I cannot imagine there's a world where people are allowed to do those. Because in North Korea, people get executed for watching movies. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> and that's how I risked my life again. And yeah, because being in North China was not being a human. And I wanted to live like a human being. And that's how with five people in our group, we decide to walk and across the Gobi Desert in the coldest time. In winter, it was 2009. And after Beijing Olympic, mm -hmm. I remember that time when everybody was excited about Beijing Olympic. And my father died, and I was preparing for another escape. And that's how we crossed the Gobi Desert. And we had our like compass with us. We didn't have any thing with us. We just walked, and we had a compass. And when we followed the compass, we could not use it. Because if we turn the flashlight, the police would find us. So we decided to look up the sky, and there were a million stars. And they were very, very bright star, and that was northern star. And I remember I was telling my mom, Tim, let's follow that star. And that's how we just walked. And luckily, we survived, we made it. So the significance of this is that um, China has a deal with North Korea, um, which explains the human trafficking world, that means anyone who any North Korean going to China will be reportedly repatriated by the Chinese. However, Mongolia doesn't have that deal. So if you, as, as Yomi did, if as soon as you're over the border into Mongolia, the Mongolian authorities will repatriate you to South Korea instead. So when you did get to South Korea, I mean, you know, you've lived, you've seen, you've probably seen so many of the world's cities now, but um, mm. Seoul is probably one of the planet's most modern cities. Right. <laughs> uh, that yeah. must have been an incredible culture shock. How, how did it feel? Oh, it's indescribable. I was time traveler, you know, <laughs> right? From a universe where they have nothing and from the universe where there is so much, the abundance there. And there is so complicated and the modern world was so different. And because I was being forgotten from the world, not many people knew what was happening in North Korea. And when I got out and when I was arrived at the airport, so my first impression was, wow, freedom is shining. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was shining. I was at the airport, I remember, there's an escalator on the ground is moving. And I thought, why ground is moving there? <laughs> and I went to the bathroom and of course, try to say that I never seen the women's product or even the fancy the toilet paper. And the toilet paper had like flower printing on it. And it smelled so good. And I thought, no, I'm not gonna use that for that reason. <laughs> 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 and um, I was like, 
told it a little bit. <laughs> and I showed my mom later, like, no idea what I found. And that was the very first day I saw, and I thought, wow, it's a shining here. And I went through the interrogation center, where they examine if I'm a spy or not. <laughs> and once they found out I'm not a spy, and they went sent me to like a resettlement center for three months. Because without training from somebody like North Korea, they cannot live in this free world. We need some training for that. And once I got there, they told me Americans are not bastards. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, oh, South Korea is a free country. We are not colonized by Americans. And they told me also, why so you, if you have money, you have to put it in the bank. So I said, no, how do you trust them? <laughs> like, no, 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 you have to put in the bank. And they told me how to use ATM machine. And I thought, somebody was inside the machine, give me money. <laughs> it's like, why did they put somebody inside the machine, not outside? <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> and I thought, like, some of my colleagues, they thought if they break the machine, they have all the world's money. <laughs> so they're trying to break it sometimes. <laughs> and yeah, and then I remembered how to charge it, like what to, how to take a bus, how to take the, we never had the transportation in North Korea, how to take a subway, and also for the first time, they asked me to think for myself. That was the first moment somebody asked me, what do you think? I shocked, I didn't like it. I remember they, they asked me, you should introduce yourself, and you should use the word I, and in North Korea, the worst thing you can be using I. Everything is we. We love our country, we love our leader. It's not like I. There's no indigi individuals exist in North Korea. But for the first time, I had to be individual. And they asked me, what do you like? What's your favorite color? I don't know. What's your favorite food? What do you want to be in the future? And I had no idea. Because I was never allowed to think for myself. And that was the biggest thing to me, like, I had to think for myself, and I had to use freedom. And learning freedom was not that easy. I never knew freedom follows consequences. And your choice, you have abundant options, but if you choose something, there will be consequences for that. And that was scary, you know? If I choose to go to school, the result is gonna be my responsibility. And that was very scary because I was always raised in a country where government told me, and I never think about the results. And that was just totally, my world was shifting. And also, I was still brainwashed. And even after I escaped North Korea, I remember was, I was in China. People told me, your leader is bad. Because of him, you are suffering. But I was defending them. Like, you dare to say, you don't dare to say Kim Jong-il in your mouth. He's our great leader. And suddenly in South Korea, I had to learn everything new. And everything what I believe was totally wrong. So that's how I was exposed to the books. And really, books saved me in freedom. Uh, judging by what's your own book, you really started to read, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's a very, very impressive reading list. Uh, beyond me, uh, having not had much education in North Korea, uh, two years of primary school. Yeah, two years primary school to learn how to kill, kill American bastards. <laughs> That's all I learned. <laughs> yeah. um, within two years, managed to get both a middle school diploma and a high school diploma, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> Thank you. A speedy work. Thank you.
So some people have said that there are some inconsistencies mm. in your story. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if those people are part of the North Korean regime, we can see why that mm. would be. But how do you feel when it's, it's people from outside North Korea who are saying that? And what's your yeah. answer to them? I think I was very grateful for those uh, critical views of me because I was not perfect. I was hiding my secret because, uh, I don't know, in Asia, showing the purity and virginity for a girl is everything. And I was 15 years old, starting new life. And if I go to my friends, this is what I went through, then they would not accept me as a normal person. And <laughs> sorry, I wanted to live like a normal person, to go to school and have friends. Because I never had the luxury to be normal in my life. And I thought people would forgive me if I, not, if I don't talk about my hardship. And I was not going to talk about it because when that happened, when I was raped, I, I believed that was not me. I was saying myself. And I thought, no, it's not happening to me. That was not me. And even after I escaped, I told myself to forget it. And I believe it was not, it didn't happen to me. How come that was happening in the world? And I couldn't talk about what I went through because I wanted to have family. I wanted to be a mom someday. And I thought nobody gonna accept me again if I talk about it. So I told only part of my story in the beginning. And I realized if I don't talk full story, my life really doesn't have meaning. What I went through really doesn't have power. And I wanted to decide everything in the book because remembering was so painful and talking was impossible. So writing was process of remembering and also reliving it. And I don't know because I never knew what trauma was before I started writing this book. So, so many things I forgot and the orders were mixed up. And I didn't know, because in North Korea, we don't have words for depression or trauma. So I never knew I was traumatized. And there's things called like post-trauma stress or something. So that was the reason why I couldn't talk about her story. And I don't remember the order exactly. And also my English was, I would just started this language a few years ago, watching American TV show Friends. <laughs> and as you can imagine, that show didn't teach me this perfect stuff. No. <laughs> so my English was also not good, and sometimes journalists misunderstand me unintentionally. And you know, it's not my country once they write it. And that's how inevitably their stories are a little bit different, like three days or four days, one mountain or two mountains. And those things is impossible to get everything correct done. And so, but still I'm grateful those people were criticized so I can be a better activist and I can be responsible for every word that I say here. So, I don't blame those people who is being harsh on me. I think they train me to be better advocate for freedom. Very generous viewpoint. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I was going to say, you've described yourself as not being a victim, as being a revolutionary. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that the North Korean regime is scared of you now? <sighs> I mean, all we know, Kim Jong-un would not like me. 
and I don't like him. <laughs> right? I was saying, I think I'm dearer than you, so I will live longer than you. <laughs> That's what I'm proud of. <laughs> and yeah, of course, they tried to silence me. Every passerby, they spread all the smear campaigns on online, in person. They send the emails to everybody, and they do everything to stop me. And they denounce me as a propaganda puppet of the West. And they used all my relatives back in North Korea and denounced me again. So it's a matter. Everybody think our freedom of speech is free here. But I'm a North Korean defector, so I still have to fight for my freedom of speech, even though I'm a free person. Some people don't like what I say here. And it's my freedom, it's my right. And I don't think I will let them in again, because I'm in this democracy and I have a voice. And I will fight until I die to be free completely. So I'm excited for this battle. I don't know who will win, but I'm sure Chosa has power. So yeah, that's what I believe. And what do you think is, will be the future for North Korea? Oh, it's really hard a question. I know, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was uh, in Frankfurt recently. It's like I came back yesterday for Germany, and it's my first time to go to Germany. I never knew what Frankfurt was. <laughs> and I, people were asking, what do you see future of North Korea? And I was asking them, what did you think before Berlin War collapsed? Did you think it was going to happen? And nobody said yes. And they said, no, we didn't know. And when I meet people from Soviet Union, and when I end the Holocaust, Nazi Germany, nobody knew and nobody could predict what seems impossible that became possible. And why not North Korea? Why not I escape and my fellow defectors may choose freedom? And they're speaking out. There are COI reports about the crimes against humanity that happening in North Korea by the North Korean regime. And I believe the change is happening now because these people come out from the hermit kingdom. And when we share our stories, and the world like you guys seems to pay attention to what you are saying and what our voice, I think that's the beginning of the change. So I'm very optimistic and it's the motto of my life. Nothing lasts forever and nothing is forever. So I'm sure we one day say, no, we never, we could not predict that was gonna come. Yeah. So I think as history showed us, yeah, North Korea, the freedom is inevitable. And on that note, as Tracy's power, um, do any of you have any questions that you'd like to ask your Ming? Yes? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Thanks for sharing this with us today. Um, oh, thank you. I, I was just wondering, what were your plans for the future? Like, what are you doing now? Are you still studying? Are you, mm -hmm. have you career plans maybe, or? Oh, yeah, my plan. <laughs> That's how the question, because I miss out so much in life. I never knew what Mexican food was, what Indian food was, <laughs> right? So when the people ask me, what's your favorite food? I'm like, wait a minute, I gotta try everything. <laughs> and then come back to your answer someday. <laughs> so I have a lot of dream. I wanna enjoy this free freedom, you know. There's no reason for me to get down. I'm the happiest person in earth today. I, I'm a free person, so I'm trying to get education. And I don't know if opportunity allows me, I want to learn lots of different things.
literature, fashion, makeup, or anything. And but I think one thing consists is I will speaking out against the regime and do my best to bring liberty inside North Korea. So that's you no know, like concrete plans, but just I think I will enjoy freedom <laughs> all my life. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, thanks Hi. so much for um, so articulate and um, so moving. I can speak for probably everybody in the room. Um, it seems that uh, very few people manage to escape from North Korea, mm -hmm. um, which is why your you know story is so amazing. Um, I wonder if you'd just be able to reflect on, and maybe you don't know, maybe you do, mm -hmm. how it was that for you you could escape, and so few have managed to. What was the particular um, your particular experience that made that possible? I think, as you know, lots of things in life is random, and also luck. I have to admit that. If not, I'm special here who I survived. I'm just lucky because I made it. And when you try to escape in the border area, 100 meters wide, the soldiers have you know, guns standing there. So if they see somebody escape, they just shoot them. So people get shot by the river. And it's not like it's whole like locked regime. And also, <coughs> even they escape to manage China, it's very hard to survive. And once they're being sold to countryside, because you, you cannot imagine something that you never heard of. We cannot imagine our life being in Mars, right? We cannot imagine what, how the life is going to be there. And like that, so even they escape to China and is living in China, they don't know anything else better. <laughs> they don't even, they are possibly find asylum in South Korea. So they just accept the fate and just still hiding and they don't come out. So we, nobody knows how many people escape. And also they, it now it's almost impossible to escape. Kim Jong-un is drawing, doing his best to prevent this escape. So the people who managed to escape before, they come to South Korea, and that's the people who is like in this world. And now it's almost impossible to escape. It's a whole camp. It's a whole, whole nation is a camp. It's not a country. You often recall the, the country, what country are you from? I'm like, I'm not from a country. I'm a freedom from a prison camp. What kind of prison, what kind of country you are not even allowed to really hearing? It's our very women's desire to look pretty. That's our right. But even every right is denied in North Korea. Thank you so much for your question. Hi. Hi. You've had such a harrowing story and I think it's very brave that you choose to relive it every day, in effect. And I was wondering, are you able to switch off and, and relax at all? And if you are, are there any sort of hobbies or anything sort of lighthearted that you can do in the West that helps you to relax? Uh, watching Friends. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing the dating culture in New York. <laughs> oh. It's the hardest. It's because... Oh, I asked my sister even, she left North Korea at 16, and she feels like she's still 16. She feels like she never grew up after that. And many times I feel like I will stop going. So it's, it's hard to, because I lived in freedom like more than six years now, I think no, more than five years. It's quite a time. 
but still to me what I went through is so big. So only like uh, there are hundred memory on like twenty percent is being in prison. And eighty percent is like reminds me, reflects me. But I think the reason is because my mom is North Korean, so who lived like more than forty years in North Korea. So for her it's impossible to forget everything. Every her life is continuing that journey to from that brainwashing and the habit she had in North Korea. And inevitably that affects me. So still I don't really goodbye to my life habit being in North Korea. So still like I'm afraid when I'm hungry. <laughs> like I quite ha having a hard time relate to people when they're concerned like Oh, my boyfriend didn't call me last night, so I'm so upset. <laughs> and like, that's a problem for you? <laughs> really? Seriously? <laughs> and I would never get people like standing in the line at a good restaurant and then wait for hours to eat something. To me, like, quantity matters. <laughs> Level quality matters to me. So this whole like first world thing, <laughs> I say. And uh, I was like recently, was my birthday, so I just turned 22. And my publicist told me in America, when the birthday party, they like beat the candies and candy drops like rain. And the first thing I said to what a first word thing to do. <laughs> and she was like, I'm sorry, I didn't want to offend you. So yeah, it's hard to separate myself from the experience. And also it's, you know, it's not easy to only be safe because I left my right back in North Korea. I remember the people who never made it. So, because I can see two sides. So I cannot be just only unhappy in freedom because it hurts me when I see so much here and some people just die for while we are throwing, throwing away in this country. And I think that guiltiness is something I have to carry on all my life. So I'm trying my best to don't feel guilty about having this good life to be in this country. Thank you so much for your question. Um, if you have any, if you could say anything to the girls that are still in North Korea, do you have any advice or anything? Anything you'd want to say to them? Yeah. If you could, to everyone that's still in North Korea. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, what would you say to them? <laughs> right, I think um, after I went through this journey, uh, it was not only just being a North Korean defector. I, because I saw so many things that humans can do to each other. It's not always pretty and beautiful. It can be worse thing and I lost faith in humanity for a long time. And I had to relearn what's love and relearn what's compassion. Because to me, was seeing dead bodies on the street was normal. And here, where I'm in the country, we have compassion here and love here. And seeing two versions of different human beings. And it, it made me think, what's really, what it means to be a human being? I don't know the answer quite yet. But yeah, but I know what morality is and what compassion is and uh, but just I don't know really what to talk to these people. Honestly, I don't know because I don't know when we are going to free this country and 
So my mom is telling me, living in North Korea is not living. Because you cannot die, that's why you live. So should I just tell them, waiting <laughs> and don't lose hope? Or I don't know, but I think you should have hope, I guess. Because when I was in China, I never knew I was going to have this life. I never knew I would have a voice and being a free person someday and have a respect. But I had hope. It was very irrational hope that I had in China, and that kept me going, that I believed maybe somehow life can be better than this. This world maybe is not only full of misery, so I think maybe just tell them. I just, I had to think about it. <laughs> Thank you. Hi. Um, you know, you were saying when you were watching like the Chinese TV channel like in secret and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, do you think like the young people in North Korea have a different mindset to like the older people? Like, would you ever like talk to, had you ever an occurrence where like somebody your age, like you talk to them, you'd be like, is this really right? Or mm. like, would you ever talk to each other like in secret? Oh, I don't know now what it's like, uh, but now I have a contact with North Korea and I look checking and people are more scared than ever before, ever before. It's, there's no even comparison how Kim Jong-un terrorizing people. He's like 100 times worse than his father, Kim Jong-il. So my time, I couldn't imagine like say something bad things about your leader. Uh, yeah, but the thing is, uh, I watched like movie Titanic when I was in North Korea, and it's love story. And to me, it was a shocking point. It was a lot revolutionary because I never seen a movie made out of such a shameful story. There's no Romeo and Juliet in North Korea. You don't learn about Shakespeare. You learn about how what kind of miracles Kim Jong Il can make. And to see that movie and believe somebody can make a movie out of this kind of story and human story can be made <coughs> for the movie. And to me, that was shocking. And of course, I thought the director and DiCaprio executed. And I was glad he's not. <laughs> and I didn't care about Kate at all. <laughs> I was like, oh no, he cannot be executed. But <laughs> both are safe. <laughs> and that changed, that showed me some taste of freedom. That gave me some sense of like humanity. But not the level of like, what we have is bad. Not the level of like, our country is the worst country. So I think what's interesting in North Korea is that, uh, I don't know if you read the book 1984, George Orwell's book, uh, Double Think. You can have two contradicting thoughts at the same time. That's how it works for me, because you see that the bodies on the street. And my, ma my grandmother uh, killed herself before family gets her. I remember one morning, I was so young, and she was taking lots of medicines on her hands. And I was too young, so I asked her, Grandma, why you are taking so many medicine? And she told me, I want to have some rest. And like later, I heard my uncle was screaming to her to wake up. And she knew she would die for the starvation. So that was life. That's life in North Korea. And but I was singing the song that nothing can end in this world. This world, this country is the best country in this world. 
and I extend the songs like without you there's not. That means without you Kim Jong Il there's not. Without Kim Jong Il there's no meaning for us. There's no point for us to exist on this earth. And that was in North Korea. So people can just have this crazy contradicting thoughts in that country and that's brainwashing I believe. So yeah. Thank you very much. Hi. 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 Do you think that there's anything that we should be doing in the West to to help people who are still suffering mm -hmm. in North Korea? Like what would you say that we should be doing? I think the first thing is we have to learn about this issue, this tragedy. It's happening seven decades. Seven decades is three more, thirty more years. It's gonna be one century. In this history, forgot these people, twenty-five million lives. And I like, think the last time I had the event, and they showed me the photo of Kim Jong Un, that guy sitting there. And I was so upset that why he's a joke? Why this murder is a joke in this country? Why we take him? Why his history is so, so funny? Why we talk about North Korea only when Dennis Rodman visiting him? Why only we talk about this crazy country when the movie came out from Sony? It's not the point. It's not a joke. The people dying there. I lost my whole my family there. I, everybody's dying from there. And these people, because they just born in North Korea, because they were born in that country, they're going through this. And we know that that is an injustice. And how come this Britain, U USA, Canada, they, if they believe in justice, in human rights, how can they silence about this issue? It's not their rights, it's our rights, it's human rights. I think that's if we acknowledge North Korea is not, not a joke, it's something we have to speak up. It's something that we cannot bear. I think then there's hope. And then we can condemn China. What you do in China is evil. They cannot send these refugees back to North Korea because we are political refugees. And then we have hope the people they don't have to go through all that human trafficking. And then things can start. But here in the West, we just like somewhere we, we will never understand. The people brainwashed. And the narrative of North Korean people is unimaginable. We are like inhumanized. We often forget the people like us living in that country. And imagine your sister, your mom is in that country. Well, how would you feel that? And I think that's what we have to change first. Change the narrative of North Korea. I think that's a great challenge for us. Thank you so much for your question. Hi. 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 Um, Thank you. If the North Korean regime fell in the mm -hmm. near future, mm -hmm. would you like to go back? And if so, what would you like to do? Would you like to be involved in helping rebuild your country or build a new country, mm -hmm. educating you North Korean countrymen and women mm -hmm. uh, into what you know the what's out there into freedom? Yeah, uh, it's a it's my greatest thought. Like what I'm gonna do in free Korea actually. Oh, I like whenever I see dessert shop, I feel like oh, I want to have that in North Korea. <laughs> When I see coffee shop and cinema, I feel like I won't hope to have this. And I hope to have this stylist event in North Korea someday. <laughs> Isn't it be fun? Why not in North Korea? And that's my dream. I think it's going to be a very painful process once the regime collapse. 
and people had to acknowledge what they believed in was a lie. I believe when I read that Animal Farm, Georgia Westbrook in, in South Korea, and I cried. I cried because I couldn't see my grandma in that book. I couldn't see the past of North Korea. I couldn't see the present of North Korea. And people aware of what they believed in was lie, and they had to forgive the past because when you get so much, so much injustice, it's hard to forgive people. But North Korean people had to forgive what had happened to them. They had to let the past go. And I think it will be very hard because people lost so much what they have from the regime. And they were angry with us. They will ask if you had that much, if you had everything, if you had the technology to go to the moon, why you didn't save us? Why you didn't do nothing for us? What are you going to do if they ask, what have you been doing Why my daughter was dying in North Korea? I don't know if humanity have an answer for them. And I think that's what I'm afraid of. I hope I have an answer for them. While you are dying, I did something in this freedom. I didn't just have party, have just enjoyed freedom, but I did something for you. And yeah, once it opens up, I'm going to have a stylist event. You all invited? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to have a everything. People have to express. They have to be human. I never knew. 18th century, people wrote the books. I'm reading classic books now, Jane Eyre or Pride and Prejudice. I never knew people wrote books that time. And I think North Korean people have to catch up with so much things. They have to learn style first. <laughs> they have to learn about hairstyle and everything. So, yeah, I think I will do like 100 things at least. <laughs> so you were invited anyway. <laughs> and I think we have one. Uh, yeah, we've got time for a couple more questions. Yeah. <laughs> Gentleman here's been hand up every time. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you for your talk. Thank um, you. You mentioned in your book that when you first got to South Korea, you really wanted to fit in and you wanted to learn the accent and you didn't want anybody to know mm -hmm. that you were North Korean. Can you talk a little to um, the process of assimilation within South Korea? I know that even the language is so different. You have different words for things like ice cream. Yeah. Um, yeah, can you talk about the challenges and how South Koreans view North Koreans and whether that's changing or not in today's era? Yeah, uh, it used to be we imagine if we escape, people would say, wow, you did a great job. Welcome to our country. But sadly, <laughs> it was not all like that. People were uh, very ignorant, and they had uh, big stereotypes against North Korean people and discrimination towards us. And uh, as a girl, I didn't even know what to call this cup here. In, North, in South Korea, they call, it, call this cup. And in North Korea, we call it differently. So even basic things, I could not communicate. And how do I know what the copy machine is, what the Americano is? I was not even allowed, I was not even like knew how to order coffee in the coffee shop. I didn't know what the tea, like things like Americano or bref English breakfast or customer. I don't know what those are. <laughs> and there's no way I can talk to friends because they are talking about uh, they are stars, they are celebrities, and like Justin Bieber. And how do I know Justin Bieber? <laughs> I only knew Kim Jong Il. <laughs> right? It's impossible for me to being a kid at the age of 15, and I talk with a thick accent, and they don't understand what I'm saying. 
So like, could you talk to me? I don't understand you. And to me, it's like I'm trying to talk to them, and it's very sad when somebody don't understand me. And I had to catch up with the whole education. I had to go to college. And as we all know, South Korea is obsessed with education. The competition is really bloody, <laughs> really hard. And that's and also I tried to talk to my past to some people at the integration center. And in China, I, when I met the South Korean pastor, and I told them what I did to survive, to be sold, and to do those things to survive and to save my family. And they looked at me like somebody criminal, and, and they looked at me so dirty. And I felt, if I talk to people, everything that I did to survive, they will look at me very dirty, and I should not talk about it. So I did my best to be South Korean. I changed my accent. I changed how I talk. And I told everybody I'm from North South Korea. And I became a different being, different a new human being. And that was also another hard part. Why these defectors, they cannot be accepted as they are? Why what they did to survive was so shameful to me? You need to encourage these people. Why you did was so brave? You, we should not feel shame about what we did to survive. And I feel bad because I didn't even know what was counseling was. So when I was in South Korea, nobody told me you need to do counseling. Nobody told me you are traumatized. So just I had to bear everything on my own, figure out everything on my own, how to order coffee, how to go to cinema, watch a movie. And I had to learn about the celebrities, past Hilton. <laughs> Everything people talk about, I have no idea. When I read the newspaper, I don't know what they are talking about there. And I had to just learn everything from the beginning. It's like for so like some celebrity got married, what did, what president did, and I don't know anything going on. So it was another challenging moment to me uh, to fit in these two free words. Yeah. We want to yeah. ask our last question. Um, thank you. I uh, just you. wanted to ask about your mother and your sister, how they feel about you sharing your story. The, my mom thought I was out, out of my mind. Oh. <laughs> of course, she like, you don't want to die. <laughs> You're too young to die. Because my detective in South Korea just freaked out. You are on the target list. And my fellow defectors in South Korea, North Korea regime, sent them assassination attempt. They are sending me the spies with the weapons to kill my fellow defectors who are speaking out against the regime in South Korea. And I'm working with them. And my detective is scared. And my mom is like, you went to relatively very good, good college in South Korea. I was majoring in criminal justice. I was younger than most of college girls. And I could go to law school. I can become a just normal South Korean girl, not talking about anything, and nobody gonna ask me what I went through. And she thought like, why you are like, are you crazy? <laughs> she was very depressed in the beginning because I never knew there was a thing called a human rights activist. I never knew that can be a profession. <laughs> and of course, she doesn't know what's human rights. And because she was like, animals' rights, it's so new thing for me. I never knew what animal had rights. And now I'm. Uh, I later I learned about human rights, and I'm fighting for it. 
but last year I shared my story in Europe for the first time in Dublin. And I, the last thing I said, when I crossed in that Gobi Desert, I really thought nobody in Minnesota cares. I thought, really, that's the origin, and nobody really cares if I lived or died. And people told me they cared what I went through. They just didn't know what had happened to me, and they care what's happening to Russian people. And my mom actually saw the power there, and she could not believe that people care here. Mm -hmm. Our suffering matters to some people in this country. And she's very proud of me, and writing this book was not easy. We, everybody who went through it with us, we had to relive in Europe together. And I was calling them, like, sorry, I have to write this book, and they get depressed <laughs> because they're thinking about what they will have to do. But we are proud of this book, and hopefully we all learn about the situation more. So my sister and my mom had to know. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Yomi, and, and thank you, everybody, um, for your questions and for your attention. Um, I hope you realize that people really do care about what you have to say. Yeah. There is power and truth. <laughs> Yomi will be signing copies of her book In Order to Live at the Waterstones pop-up on the shopping floor uh, pretty much from now. Um, this culture lounge is closing now. Sorry, I'm still a bit choked up myself. <laughs> um, so go and see Yomi. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Stylist Live podcast. For more from Stylist Live, visit stylist.co.uk forward slash stylist live.